HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Welcome to Top 8 Magic. Brian David Marshall here with Michael J. Flores and special guest Chris Lanzell. This is like bucket list item for me. <laughs> really? You can die now? I mean, I mean not if quite we, yet. I mean, if we lead him maybe like three blocks from here, he could. Can we stab him to death? No, no, we don't have to do that ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Black and two stab wounds, here we go. Uh, can't look that one up. I know the drills here on this show. <laughs> So we ju- we just had a uh, so so well, we're not a Waverly and Gay. So the thing is, the first time we podcasted with Marshall at Waverly and Gay, he was like, he's like looking around and people walk by. He's like, you weren't kidding. You were just never kidding. Like, why would you think you're kidding? Just, we all think that it's made up. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're actually in a but studio. you're here. Yeah. And I'm like, he, and he's like, no, no, no. We're just talking about the girls walking by. Uh, and he's just like. We're like Lando in Chinatown. This is just yeah, we're, we're a Mott Hester. At the corner of Chinatown and Little Italy. Uh, so yeah, pretty much. We are in the corner. That's literally where we are, the corner of Chinatown and Little Italy. But, yeah. That so, was- so we just had... Uh- some ramen. We did. And you just had ramen for the first time earlier this week. In Providence. Yeah. In Providence. So how does Providence ramen compare to, to Bossa Nova? Bossa Nova, Chinatown so ramen. It's like this caveman, right? <laughs> <laughs> he takes a stick <laughs> and he attaches a rock to it. Yeah, so that's yeah. Providence? Yeah, that's So it's Providence. got some good technology. Yeah. You could kill a lot of cavemen that way. Yeah. You could take some cavemen wives that way. Yeah, you could. Yeah. You could. But then Bossa Nova shows up with the Enterprise yeah. and just blows everything to bits. Wow, that sounds it's like a, an like orgy a of violence. <laughs> sounds like a story I had somewhere before. I'm not sure where. Why would they need to use a whole starship to beat a caveman <laughs> with a stick and a rock? For deliciousness? Do you think that they, like, they they uh, fried up the caveman and put him in the next bowl of Bossa Nova? I do. I've, but I've been binge-watching Hannibal, so... No, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about No, it's going to go 13 episodes. No, yeah. no, but... They're going to they're gonna run the whole season, and then Netflix is going to pick it up for sure. Last year, they were in this situation, and he said in an interview, uh, if uh, if he didn't get renewed, like, some... Like, either a minor cable network or their streaming service was... He's like, he'd already gotten offers, so... Yeah, yeah, because NBC doesn't front the costs for the, for the show. Yeah. It's, like, all, like, production a European company production does, company yeah. does. And so it was, like, I think, like, 185K an episode for NBC. Which is just nothing. Which is... No- also, by the way, it's the most gorgeous show on TV. So, wait, actually, I don't understand. Like, it just doesn't pull ratings? Is that the... It's, it's like, a super weird show. It's yeah. super weird. I mean, it's I, super uncomfortable. I tried to watch it because you like you like it so much, and I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying yeah. I just never got into it. Like I, I watched Justified, and I'm not saying Justified is like candy watching, but it's easy for me to watch. Sure, know? I liked it fine. And the best show, like top five show. They can't all, time. all be the it, best show. Justified is a top five show all time. I don't even have Justified ahead of Sons of Anarchy. Justified's way ahead of Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy is much more flawed than you are willing to acknowledge. I, first of all. There's an entire season of Sons of Anarchy that you're like, what? <laughs> What's going on? You're going to watch Sons of Anarchy? No. It's good. I don't cable. I mean, like... You don't actually have to TV to watch TV anymore. You're doing Canada, though. Oh, really? You don't yeah. have, like, Amazon there? Well, no, we don't get Hulu or Amazon or any of that. HBO Go. Oh, my God. I thought about Netflix going to Canada. Oh so, the cost of socialized medicine and free public education is that you don't get to watch TV? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you did not phrase this correctly. The cost of socialized medicine and free education is 
you get to have this life, right? You get to live a long time. It doesn't cost you anything. You get to be educated. It's just not worth living. <laughs> like, it's just... I mean, I was shortcutting. <laughs> I mean, you could pay for cable if you want to watch that stuff, but... Yeah, I just. Oh, you could. Oh, I I shudder to ask you. (laughs) Our cable bills are like two hundred dollars a month there. Uh, yeah, one fifty-ish. You're paying one hundred fifty dollars, and you don't have shows. I'm not paying anything. Oh, (laughs) I was like, yeah. I I pay for my internet, and that's it. I have Netflix for eight bucks a month or whatever. Yeah, that's what you pay for Netflix, but it doesn't have any shows. It has some shows, like the the most most recent season of Archers on there, for example. Well worth it. Yeah, good shit. And good I, I don't know, like, but I would get get into Archer. Like, yes. John loves Archer. You'd love Archer. It's it's like Charlie. Sheen Archer, you James are Bond. basically Archer. Isn't mm. Archer a buffoon? But but, <laughs> but handsome. He's like handsome, right? Well, that was easy. <laughs> no, 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 he's like handsome and like faux capable, but a buffoon, right? Yes. yes. I have like no overlaps with this guy. No, no. Also, I'm not faux capable. He okay. also is consent, convinced he's the greatest secret agent of all time. I'm not convinced I'm the greatest secret agent of all time. <laughs> Who's the greatest deck builder of all time? Uh, I, I think Svimashowitz is a good... A funny way of pronouncing Michael Flora. Is a good... <laughs> I don't even think I was the greatest deck builder in the world for very long. <laughs> At any given time, there's the greatest deck builder in the world, right? Like, I don't think I was that for very long. Like, I was definitely that for, like, three weeks or something. Like, uh, but, you know, when somebody else, like, but, like, years ago, you know, like, uh, you know, it it was when, like, Nassif was losing interest. (laughs) Siyoshi, like, lost interest for a while. Uh, But it wasn't for very long. But, I mean, I... I don't think that I don't think that's a, a, a factually inaccurate statement. It was a, it was a good stretch. All right, Chris, so tell us about being at uh, Grand Prix Providence. You took a uh, a different uh, yeah, a different route. Yeah, normally I judge uh, judge twenty two GPs. That's my first one playing. I want to get an idea of how it felt on the other side of the table. Uh, not a fan of the stress level. <laughs> really? The night before, rushing around trying to find cards for other people. And, no, for, no, 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 you did not me. play the game correctly. That's, night, not, that's not what Archer would do. No, this is true. Right. Archer would get bullets for no one else. He'd just put the tactile neck on and just <laughs> put it down. Uh, the last like several big tournaments I've been to, I've been out. People are like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, what do you mean what do I want to do? I'm going to bed. Yeah. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm going to bed at 10 maximum. Yeah. You do whatever you want. I was in bed at 11. Like, like the, the the whole problem was I, w- I was going to play some guy's five-color dragons deck, but I couldn't win a single game with it. So I had to audible. And there were a couple decks I was looking at. Mono Blue Devotion had just been put up some result online. and I thought Mono, Mono Blue Devotion, like Splashing Green, Splashing Virtual Electric Company? Actually. Oh. For what? Uh, Ojatai. I hear that card's good. I like the green version, Splashing for Collected Company. Yeah, but that's fun. It also gets to untap uh, Nykthos with Kiora's follower as well, so it's never a bad idea. No, no, no with the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, like the prettiest girl ever. No. <laughs> what you're doing is just like, you drop a nuclear bomb on a city and be like, now I'm going to dig it up with a radioactive shovel. Yeah. <laughs> that's, no sh- that's exactly my speed, Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plus it's blue green, right? Like uh, you don't need you no, know, it's already blue green. Cocoing the bottom blue devotion deck is already awesome. You don't need to put cards that you can't cast. 
I ended up on Madu Dragons, though. That deck's good. I, I, I like good the deck. deck. Well, wasn't it, wasn't there just a, like a, a Magic Online standard analysis that said Madu Dragons was pretty much... Green, White, Coco. Green, White, Coco, and then Madu Dragons yeah. were like the two best decks. Yeah. It, it's got solid game against a lot of things. Like the, the aggro decks can't often beat Seeker of the Way. And, what, was uh, the, what was the Soul five. position for Adrian's deck from, on that analysis? Because I think... I think on gap analysis, Adrian's deck's the best deck in school. So good. I think Adrian, Adrian's blue black deck? Yeah. Adrian's decks, I put them in the same category as Shoulders decks. Are you Adrian Sullivan? No, then the deck just got a lot worse. Wow. His analysis is very bad. <laughs> I mean, that's why I judge, right? Like the Adrian's like the deck that Adrian played at the Pro Tour was first of all it was just a known archetype, right? I don't know why we all call it Adrian's deck. Or we've all well, because Adrian come to has some Adrian's deck. Adrian has some pretty specific card but choices that are very Cuneo. <laughs> no, but like just on a fundamental level, Cuneo and Owen, etc., made a deck like this for Pro Tour cons of Tarkir, right? Sure. Like, and you're talking about like blue black removal counter spells. Dig through time, Radiant Fountain, right? It's yep. a fundamental shell of the deck. Sure. That deck is unbelievably good in a metagame where people are main decking cards like Foul Tongue Invocation and Draconic Roar and bending over backwards to play these cards to play minor small ball games, right? So a lot of the conflict in standard is just like, here's my 2-1, here's my 3-3, three, three. I'm going to fight your 2-2. Two, two. This guy's got Death Touch. Let's trade one for one. Like, they just play this, like, minor game with each other. But they, everyone plays this, makes this gentleman's agreement to have, like, a bunch of 2-1s and 3-3s fighting against each other. And they're like, if they're playing against Adrian's deck, they're like, wow, you just killed all my guys and my hand is all point creature removal. Yeah. This is not going to go well, right? Um, so if, if people aren't playing, like, first turn Zergo, like, Adrian's deck is at a different level than I'm not saying else. the deck is bad. I just think that it gains a lot of points when Adrian's playing it. Like with Shouter's decks. If you are not Shouter, you should not be playing his decks blind. Because... No, no, no one said anybody about playing any decks blind. I mean, <laughs> like with some, there are some decks that you have a base understanding. Some decks are better Shouter's played blind. What? Just, just yeah. don't look at them. <laughs> just don't even look. Paper. <laughs> Shut up. Paper. I never even remember which one was paper. We would play, and then, like, be like, this is the new paper. <laughs> this is the new paper. <laughs> was Gushes and what else? And Fogs? How no, did you kill? That wasn't, that wasn't paper. It was Gushes and Natural Affinity? Natural Affinity and, and, um, and Snare. That's when I meant the Fog. Yeah, yeah. So you tap all the Rebels, right? Yeah. Couldn't be Rising Waters, but, you know. No, but I, I remember. That was Scissors. <laughs> Yeah, so was, I, I was playing. I was, I was playing. I was playing mono white, right? And then I figured out a way to beat it. And you're like, no, this always beats rebels. And then like, I beat like a whole bunch. I don't remember how, but I figured out like there was some hole in the ensnare plan. No, no, not not against. There was never a hole against rebels. Rebels really couldn't beat that deck. The problem is the deck was never beat blue. It was just never beat rising waters. Never beat black green. Yeah, beat black green. Thrashing wumpus against natural affinity. I mean, yeah, good counter spells. All right. I'm sure this is really interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, let's go back to Chris's tournament. All right, so you played your first GP. Yeah, uh, opened up 3-0. That's great. Uh, I felt good. Third round was Lucas Sia, so... Ooh, Dude, was he champion. Was, was he playing his Abdan deck? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's so, a great matchup for him, too. I went up to Marshall. Well, not when I go 4-5-6, dragon, dragon, dragon. Like, Actually, that's fine. He plays out one Elsbeth and... 
he didn't have it though. So <laughs> that's the funny thing about good cards. If they're not in your hand, they're not that good. Um, I went up to Marshall at the end of it, and I'm like, so Lucas Sia won the last standard GP, right? He's like, yeah. So he was king of the hill? Yeah. <laughs> not anymore. You beat him at the 2 0? Yeah. He didn't even get a third buy? Man, that's brutal. You gotta play a lot of magic. Well, you can't. It's hard to get three buys. You can't get three yeah, buys. Yeah, you can't get three buys outside of platinum. Or Hall of Fame. Or Hall of Fame, yeah. yeah. But, so then the wheel sort of fell off. I played uh, Dan Jessup, who's pretty good, beat me, and then it just sort of fell down from there. 19 lands over two games in round five. Round six, I punted, and then I won out 7 8 9. So. I was happy. I mean, 6 3 is pretty good for a first time out. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you. I mean, you played all nine rounds. Oh, yeah, pay nine, play nine. <laughs> but you weren't. You weren't born a judge, right? You had played before, but yeah, but not not. I mean, my best showing is making British nationals once, or English nationals to be technical. Are you English? Yes, I'm yes. <laughs> no, no, that's just what that's just what Canadians sound like, Brian. No, no, no. This is the accent I put on for extra hits, right? That's what it is. You won't believe what he sounds like I next. Don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're a big Madonna fan and you're just like doing fake English accents. What's your, what's your shirt of? Is it like a basketball playing knight? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's actually the Holy Grail. He's throwing the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. Oh, like from Monty Python? Ding. In the style of Banksy. So it's sort of a crossover. That's just like a, a lot of fan service. Yeah. So, uh, so, so talk to me a little bit about like playing as, as a judge... Because we had Sky Mason yeah. win the GP, yeah. who's a level two judge. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like someone who doesn't, or also a similar situation to you, someone who doesn't normally play yeah. and had kind of the weekend of his life. Sure. Um, he was ecstatic, yeah. I, so, but what, what's the, what insight did you get as a judge about like maybe play, that'll inform future player interactions? Uh, uh, in terms of that experience of yeah. sitting there and having to make the decisions and function under a clock and, you know, operate, you know, at this, like, level of technical proficiency that, you know, where you're not making, you know, game rule violations. Yeah, because you just know if you make one mistake, you're never hearing the end of it. Right. Especially someone like me who does judge a lot. A lot of judges know me. Uh, visible, very yeah. visible judge. Well, when you make a mistake, like a rules error? Yeah, like you, you get called over a judge and they issue a penalty to you. You will never hear the end of that. <laughs> really? Yeah, because... You have like a very petty community? Yes, in some cases. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting. Like, when you're on the floor and you see a judge, a call go up halfway across the hall and you think, well, I have to walk past six judges to get that. Someone else will get it. Sitting down and, and experiencing that from the other side is really interesting. Like, 10 seconds seems like nothing. It's a long time to wait for a judge call. Right. Uh, and even though I probably know the answer myself, it's not like my opponent's going to believe me. Right. So, yeah, that, what level that's judge are you, Chris? Two. I'm, I'm working towards three. But three is a lot of work. Um, it, it, it's interesting to see, uh, to see the experience from that side and to see just how things that we take for granted as judges, like things like wait times for calls and... Uh, if you have to go and confer with another judge just walking away and saying, I have to go check this out, I think we could do a better job of explaining what we're doing uh, and giving people more information, just better customer service. Really. Well, that's the problem. Right? That, that, was, that was the main takeaway. And, uh, did, you, did you have any judge calls while you were playing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you call a judge? Yeah, I called a judge a couple so what was, times. So what was the circumstance like of you calling a judge? Uh, a couple of times I just wanted to correct my own mistake. I called a judge on myself, got myself a penalty, enjoyed that thoroughly. 
Apparently, I don't know if you know this, but when you cast Foultongue Invocation and reveal a dragon, it doesn't actually have buyback discarded dragon, so you don't get to put it back in your hand. <laughs> so you, you put a dragon yeah. in the graveyard. Uh, yeah, just, uh, that seems go. really it good. Comes back to my That's hand. probably That's worth it. Definitely how that card works. Wait, no, it isn't. Judge. So I, I never really stopped playing Magic, like, but I had a long stretch where I just played only online for like seven years or something. I just never played any paper tournaments. So then, about I'd say about maybe 2011 or 2012, when I started playing in invitationals, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll go to some Grand Prix and stuff. Like, I had a lot of rust, right? And, like, I was never, like, one of the best, best, best players in the world or anything, but I was good enough to be on the Pro Tour consistently. Uh, but, like, I was very good at the table in terms of, like, being sharp at my opponents. Like, I was really good at things like that, like, not getting cheated against, like, stuff like this. Like, the first, like, string of tournaments I was in, I got in more disputes with other players <laughs> over like factual things that happened in the games or once I was playing in the whatever the fake pro tour qualifier is on the second day what do they have what's it called super, super Sunday Super Series Sunday Super Series so my opponent like is winning right he's winning so like I have to disc- I'm, I'm manuscript so I'm going to have to discard right so he casts like uh, Sphinx's Revelation or whatever and I'm like how many cards do you have in hand he's got like a hundred cards in hand Hold, you know, wait, right? But he, like, I, I didn't think he, you know, anything untoward is going on. I'm just, just, just to resolve this. So I'm calling the judge. I'm like, I have to just figure out what I'm going to discard, right? So I, I call the judge. And then, like, we get into this fracas. He's just, it's not even that big a deal, right? He's going to have to discard down to seven, you know, something like this. And I don't even care. I'm probably going to lose the game. But. Like the judge keeps trying to prompt because he, he's lied to the judge three different ways at this point. He's <laughs> like, well, it was his upkeep. It's never the crime, his... it's the cover-up. Right, right, right you know, yeah, like, all exactly. these things are going on. And the judge keeps prompting. He's just like, Mike, just say the words. Yeah. So there's, I'm like, he should win. I'm not going to win. Like, <laughs> and he, like, so after the match, he's just like, I don't even know you anymore. Like, he's just like, why didn't you just say the words? He clearly lied to the t- like the floor judge. And then, like, you know, that when, the, when I got appealed to, he had a different story. You just had to say, I'm like, I didn't really deserve to win. And he's just like, but he violated the sanctity of the tournament. I don't want him playing anymore. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I didn't really think about that. I was like XO at this time, by the way. <laughs> like, five and oh. I'm like, yeah, I'll just win out. But I didn't. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, yeah. Um, and it was like winning out was only two more rounds. I was like, yeah, whatever. Oh, but yeah. I, I never, I didn't really feel like, you know, I was like, I'm not supposed to win this game. I'm mana screwed, right? Like, why do I have to dagger this guy? <laughs> he, he made an honest mistake. Like, he didn't discard down after his Sphinx's revelation. It happened, like, you know, it's not necessarily intuitive, right? Is it, is it safe to say that, like, the biggest thing players could learn about just interacting with judges is if they make a mistake, don't ever lie about it? Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. So this guy's, like, three different stories about why he had too many and cards you, And you didn't hand. punish him. And, and, and one, so then I got a little salty. He's like, well, Mike is clearly cheating. What do you mean I'm cheating? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, calling the judge about discarding a card. I have eight cards in hand. You have, like, 600 cards in your hand. How am I? He's like, well, you obviously fast-played me, like, through my entire turn. <laughs> like, like <laughs> through my draw step, evaluating that I can't cast anything, and then going. So like, then I, I got, like, a little salty. I was just like, I didn't really deserve to win the game. I didn't want to, like, dagger. Like, 
a lot of the time when we see disqualifications for people lying to a judge, the thing they've lied about is just going to get them a warning. Right. Yeah, but it's just nothing. He just, would have just had yeah. to discard down the seven. Yeah, like, it would just been nothing. And people just get terrified. And I, I think it's the old black uniforms. I, I literally said to the guy, I'm like, because like, like, when the judges go to the room, I'm like, it's not going to be that big a deal. You're going to have to discard down to seven. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you think you're going to lose this game. Like, he had, like, two... Is it static hashers in play? And I had, like, one land. I'm like... <laughs> Like, if I play a creature, you're gonna kill it. Like, it's, like, it's just not. <laughs> is, is there is there a way to like make that clearer to players? I, mean, I think we try. Uh, the problem is the way we try is through like judge articles, and players generally don't read them. Right. And. I think. Although, are, there, are there any type of judge seminars? Like we see player seminars all the time yeah. on Friday at GPS. Now, uh, is there is there a judge seminar where like the judges are like, let me talk to you about Chris, how to deal with the judges? Pause. I got it. Uh oh. Get the shirt right. That's what you need to do. You have like judge forums, right? Yeah. Every week, every week, you solicit some stories. From the judge forums. Like the story I just told you. We'll hyperbolic it up a little bit, okay? You could do like a five-minute YouTube video once a week. You're like, this is an instance of something that happened that we got reported to. It was on an FM, It was a Grand Prix, whatever. This is what happened. This is what the cover-up was. This is what the penalty should have been, etc. Okay? Just do like a talking head thing five minutes a week. And it goes on Fetchland. And I guarantee you, people will watch it and their behavior over time will change. You call it the cover-up, not the crime. Well, you know, cover-up, not the crime. There's potential to that. Yeah, I'm telling you, you will, it will explode, dude. When I was the, when I was uh, the editor of the dojo, which was like 16 years ago, it was right. 15 years ago. When I started ago, playing, I was reading it religiously. There was a, it was a, a column called Rule of Law by Dominic Reisland. Yeah. Okay? Like, it, it was never like a huge, a huge hit-getter in the same way as like an article by Zbima Auschwitz would have been. But, like, it had a following, and they were well-written articles, and I think that they were positively affecting player behavior. But you have to package it in a way that people are going to want to engage. I'm telling you, like, nobody wants to read your, like, rules, 1.17 point, blah, 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 and this is the floor thing for this. Like, they're just not, that's just a TLDR for most people. I've never read the comprehensive floor rules, you know, from cover to cover. Usually I have some of a question, I'll go, like, I can control F forward or all this. What F- percentage of Magic players do you think have read the comprehensive floor rules? Less than five. What percentage of judges do you think have read the comprehensive floor rules? Significantly greater than five. <laughs> My point is, when you start referencing things and, and stuff, like I've downloaded it a bunch of times, yeah. right? You know, like specifically, like I, I want to know something about shuffling. I want to know something about what is what is where's the bar on randomization, right? So I'll get I'll actually give you a separate hypothetical. It's actually I think pretty interesting. About shortcutting and how you would adjudicate this. Okay. okay. Uh, so I actually want to look up those things to see where I can get some value while still remaining in a safe zone, right? This is actually a big topic that we have. To me, I think safe zones are important to know about. Yeah. And uh, I get vilified all the time by people like the Marshall Brothers, okay? <laughs> because I want to know where the bar is of things that I can do that's right, right? But my goal is to stay <laughs> on that wait, side wait, of the wait, bar. Wait, 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 wait. I think it's an interesting turn of phrase to say, I want to know where the bar is so I can do things right, as opposed to saying, I want to know where the bar is so I'm not doing anything over the line wrong. I mean, that's a semantic thing. It is. The point is I want to stay on the correct side. Sure. So I'll I'll tell you my shortcutting thing in a second. Um, So uh, 
Anyway, my he point wants is barbed wire imprints in his chest because he's that far pressed up against so, the walls. I, honestly, I think that it's important to know. Right? Yeah, so, think about it like this: Ta- uh, uh, you know, Saito Wayfinder, right? Yeah. Okay. The guy treats penalties in the tournament like fouls in a. In a in a in a basketball game, he's like, right? He he's like, he thinks in his mind, I know how many penalties I can get before I'm going to have incur this level of wrath. Okay, that's not the attitude that the judge community wants to have, right? Direction. <laughs> okay, so do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's pretty true-ish, right? It's not you know, to, to to the level that that, that you can. That you can push this, but you're talking about one of the most talented players who's ever played. Doesn't have to, doesn't have to go over the line. But he actually thinks he's acting in a safe zone. In the same way that, like, in the last two minutes of a basketball game, a player would be like, "When they inbound, I'm gonna hug this guy. I need you to stop the clock." Right? Yeah. He's actually alerting the judge to this. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, the the referee to yeah. this. Right? And in his mind, he's probably acting in a safe zone. If someone had defined to him that that wasn't a safe zone, probably would have had different. A different set of events happened to him uh, in terms of his reputation as a player, etc. You're literally talking about one of the most talented players of all time. Sure. One of the best deck designers of all time. I, I, I feel like that shouldn't be a reality for anyone. Anyway, so here's my here's my question about, about shortcutting, okay? Are you familiar with the card Mind's Desire? Yes. Okay. Typically, so the card Mind's Desire says every time you do an iteration, shuffle. you shuffle. Yes. Okay? What players do is they flip, yeah. okay? Do you think flipping is reasonable? And yeah, it's going to be unless there's something like you've scried as a result of the last one. No, no, passed, no, no, no. Then All yes. other things held equal. Do you think flipping is reasonable? Yeah, I think. Okay. It is. First of all, it would be almost impossible to penalize a player for doing the thing that I'm going to tell you right now. So think about that for a second. You're not going to be able to enforce this. Okay. okay. What if I'm playing my <laughs> side? You won't. Do you know why? Because in order to have something enforced, you either have to have a judge watching someone every single time they do it, or somebody has to raise their hand, and there's nothing that will ever prompt someone to raise their hand on this. Okay. Because, by the way, you've just told me that I'm in a safe zone, okay? What if, as long as I'm acting consistently, it's okay, right? So if I shuffle, I should shuffle on each iteration. Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we in agreement? Sure. If I flip, I flip on each iteration, mm-hmm. right? What if I cast Mind's Desire, and I flip my first card? Or I shuffle, it doesn't matter, shuffle or flip. I have to shuffle. Well, you have to shuffle, at least I shuffle, once. I flip the first card. Yeah. If it's a spell... I continue to flip. If it's a land, I shuffle. What penalty will you assess me if that's how I play? Mm. As with any hypothetical, the first answer is always going to be it depends. Um, if that's, you watch me over the... Nobody call anything. You just watch me, right? And this is how I act. Right. What penalty, if any, would you assess on me for acting in this way? Uh, you're incorrectly resolving the spell. So it's and if I point around the room and I say the following seventy-five percent of the people in this room incorrectly resolved the spell, I'm not. I would so. like you to you say you're selectively incorrectly enforcing no. the spell. Like you said, the key is consistency. If you're just going to in the course of a game, I'm consistent. In the course of next time I cast in a different game, I'm not. I'm consistent to the degree that I'm playing it in the game. Right, but that's okay? not. The, the only definition. Really? So I would tell watch you, how I play every tournament? You I, watch how I play at my kitchen table? All right. So That's why it's not enforceable. As someone yeah. who has given people, when I was a judge, has given people warnings and gotten them the equivalent of a game loss for a tournament they weren't playing in, <laughs> I would, if I saw you doing that, I would 
tell you that you had to do it consistently throughout the tournament? No, no, throughout the resolution, throughout the resolution of no, the spell. No, no, no. If no, I'm sorry, I did not describe this correctly. If I flip over a, a, a spell, I keep flipping. I always flip. Right. Okay. If I flip over a land, I always I'm, shuffle. I, I would say that you need That's to. That's what I'm saying. I would oh, say you okay. need to do one form of resolving it in the iteration of the spell. in the iteration of the spell, but not throughout the tournament. I would probably watch you at that point. But what, what's prompting you to watch because me? You're doing Everyone some, just because, because you're doing something suspicious. No, what, what is suspicious about what I've what's said? What's suspicious is you've altered your pattern of behavior. But I am based not on suspicious it. unless you've been staring the, at me the, the whole tournament. I think here is I, listen, I listen to this podcast, I'm not saying, first of all, I've never, <laughs> Just to be clear, Mind's Desire is not legal in any, any format I'm aware of, and I've never done this in a tournament. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. asking about so, how you would police this. That's how I would police. And separately, why? The point Why does this of, the matter point to that we're missing My, For me, it's appearance of, of, of impropriety. And if it what's, can, imp- what's improper about it? If it seems like you're gaining some edge or gaming something, yep. I will just not let you do so, it. Because maybe I don't understand why you're doing it, but I just like look. Here's how you what you're doing. You're either shuffling once and flipping throughout the resolution. No, no, no. Spout. I shuffle every time. So if I flip a land, I shuffle and flip the next card. I shuffle and flip the next card throughout the resolution of my spell. If I flip a spell, I just flip. Oh, through the. Then I then I probably not, not I there. probably never see this. Never to see. This. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you never see it. And I'm telling you, if okay, I, I actually put I this you were saying that you I would have a dramatic advantage, and you probably why? don't know why. I don't know why. Okay. If you play very very large numbers of uh, of iterations of something, like thousands of millions of iterations of something, you find streaks, which is why you have gambling addicts. Okay. I actually key on the ability to streak. Every time I cast Mind's Desire, if I flip a land over, I could streak lands. If I flip, if I flip, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If I flip a spell over, I could streak spells. If I flip a land over, I want to break up the possibility of, of streaking lands. It's random. That's just you think that it's random. The reality is, if you're a judge, you interact with how many thousands of iterations of decks being presented to one another in the course of a day? How many? Many thousands. Many, right? yeah. What percentage of those decks are randomized? Impossible to tell. Probably below 35%. Okay? The reality is human players, uh, especially if they do press shuffles, are incredibly bad at randomizing. Oh, God. Press shuffles don't even randomize a deck. So the the idea that you're, you're going to start from the position that the deck is random is false on its face. A very small percentage of the, of the, of the decks that are actually being played in the tournament are actually randomized. So why would you start with the position that it's just random? It's not random. Magic decks are likely to have streaks in them. That's why players mulligan. I mean, I'm not, I am not prepared to get into a statistical likelihood argument. I don't do stats. What I will say... <laughs> uh, here's an example for you. Yeah. So, somebody controls a spell sky. Their opponent end of turn flashes in a restoration angel, untaps and casts Kiki-Jiki. Not looking good for the spell sky player. He activates Kiki Jiki. Spell Sky player says activate Spell Sky targeting Kiki Jiki. Is that a legal move? Yeah. Absolutely, it's a legal move. Well, uh, but that doesn't actually affect the ability of the Kiki Jiki, correct? Ah! Yeah? Correct. But if my opponent doesn't know that, I have won. Because then I untap and kill his Kiki Jiki. Well, actually, you have to finish resolving the ability. Yep. The resolving the ability will actually duplicate the Restoration Angel. Sure. So when he says put a token into play and pass the turn. I, I'm actually not sure how this is 
Like, the player who's activated the spell state either doesn't know how the card works or is, has to be actively cheating. No, why are they cheating? <laughs> because when the ability... So unless the player with the Kiki-Jiki concedes the game... Which they, is what he's saying can You have to finish so resolving the, the ability. the Kiki-Jiki player... Sees that I've activated the spell skype, yeah. doesn't realize that it won't do anything, and says, put a token into play and pass the turn. I don't right, how, about, how about this? How about this instead? How about instead of it being a spell skype in play, say, say I'm going to activate Kiki Jiki. In response, court of calling for spell skype, activate spell skype targeting Kiki Jiki. Targeting Kiki Jiki's ability. Yeah. Tar- targeting so Kiki Jiki's The Kiki Jiki player doesn't read spell skype. Doesn't realize that it won't do anything. So they go and they go. Fine, put a token into play. Pass. They don't say what the token is. If they say what the token is, then you have to correct them. But if they just say put a token into play, or even don't even say. So it, first of like, all, I think that the, I think that the spell sky player in your hypothetical, is a hero. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was me. But <laughs> it was actually me. At but a GPT. okay. If the if the Kiki Jiki player is meant to actually correctly resolve the ability, yeah. and they put the wrong, let's say they physically put the wrong kind of token into play, then that person ceases to be a hero when he doesn't say no. It's actually restoration. Yes, correct. Okay, so I think that that's. But they don't say what it is necessarily. If they don't, so here's the here was my thing. Like I think obfuscating is fine as long as you're not as long as you're not deliberately giving incorrect information. And that's that's where the line is. Right. So, like, you can never deliberately give incorrect information, yes. but you can fool your opponent all you want. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's actually laudable. It didn't actually do much good because I didn't top deck to land and he went off next to him. But <laughs> you still had your spell skype. Yeah, but he read it then. <laughs> hey, that's why you got to have the foreign spell skype. No high fives. No high fives. Absolutely no high fives. <laughs> so, you think my thing with the foreign cards is bad? No. I think it's fine. Because at any point your opponent can say, I need the Oracle text on this card. But it, that slows down the tournament. Okay. All right. All right. How do you feel about... So, Mike's playing someone. He's playing with his cards, his Chinese cards. Uh-huh. And then next round, he gets paired up against... Uh, Li Xi Su Ching Po, Li Xi, someone who reads Chinese. Right. And you look over, and he's playing with a Korean deck. Russian. Russian. Okay. He's like, like, too close. Russian. <laughs> and he's playing with Russian. Or Spanish. Uh-huh. Doesn't matter. Sure. And then, how, how do you feel about that? Uh, as long as the extra cards are not in his deck box, and it matches his deck list, I have no it's problem. It's fine, right? I think so. But even if he's swapping out entire deck boxes each time? It's fine. He can swap out all foils if he wants to. As long as the cards have the same English name, he's not changing his deck list, and he's not keeping them all in the same box, it's completely legal. Is he a dick? I will, will claim the fifth on that one. I mean, Sheldon said he was a dick. So, yeah, but I don't... Sheldon, not <laughs> far from the truth. So, my point in, in these examples, right? Like, I don't think that... I think that the... I think when I thought of the Minds of Zyre example, which is like several years ago, right? When that was actually card people playing. My contention on this was I was playing tournaments like every week, all right? Big tournaments, like they'd have like pro tour invitations or whatever attached to them every week. And I'm like, if I play enough iterations of games and I play for all of the advantages that I can play for within the context of the rules every single time, I will have an overwhelmingly greater chance of doing well than. I would have otherwise. You're talking about com- compound interest in in uh, in expectation 
that grows across many tournaments. Like, obviously, when I'm not playing Mind's Desire, then I can't have the Mind's Desire advantage. But I'll have a different advantage around this, right? Okay, but the counterpoint to this yeah. uh, is all the mental energy that's spent working on these ideas yeah. and whatever machinations you need to go through to get your Russian, your Chinese, and your Korean mind's desire yep. so that you can then have this like system, at, system yep. of mechanics yep. worked out for how you're going to play mind's desire plus, you know, how you're going to represent your spell, Sky, and how you're, like, isn't there, isn't that energy better expended just being that much more prepared in the actual gameplay and the actual card choices. So, like, isn't there just like, isn't that even just a sort of incremental amount of work more on all of those aspects of the game worth more than the sort of angle shooting aspects of the game? Well, I don't even think this is angle shooting. Right? Well, so, okay. Like, but the. Whatever, we, whatever, we, well, let's call it Mad Lib. All right, so. I say angle shoot, you could say whatever. I think, so I think most of these things that you're describing are rotable, right? So. If you just do them in practice, like I can take. But you could be just practicing. No, slow down. Play I can take all of the all of the things that you, that you want to say are expenditures of mental energy. I can resolve all of that in practice, so it becomes automatic to me on tournament day. That's actually a thing. But that comes at a cost. No, look at how Adrian Sullivan plays. Right, upside down cards. He had to teach himself to play this way, but now it is how he plays. Okay, he has a huge advantage against players because he plays this way. Right, like that's. I think it's awesome. I know that you guys don't like it. Uh, I mean, I play lands in front. So. But he's not doing anything wrong. That's my point. I disagree, actually. I, I mean, I, I disagree in the sense that there are generally... I, I think he's balking. So I think okay. it's a balk. Okay. Right? I think it's a balk. When, when I thought of some of these things... He's, he's, like, he's deceiving his opponent with his motion. Right? By, having his, by having his graveyard and his exile piles inverted... Yeah. I feel like it is harmful to the integrity of the gameplay. Don't so, discount the speed he plays at. I, sure. That throws a lot of people off. But that's, but that's fine, right? That's, 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 that's... Why like, is that fine? Because you're, if you're just playing quickly or playing slowly, that's, that's the speed, so, pace I mean, of play. Look, I, I can always slow someone down and say, stop, mm. but... Like, he was my roommate for a year. But I can't like, ask I, I, him to play his graveyard in his graveyard. I, I worked with him for a long time. I'm telling you, like, yeah. those are just, the th- that's just how he practiced, right? He he developed the routines to play this way so that on tournament day it did not cost but, him any but, energy. But interestingly, it's taken him a long time to, to, to post the results. It could be that that's all come at some cost of his success to this point. I mean, he's also a player who wants to win on his own terms. Sure. Right. So, like that—that's a—that's a barrier that a lot of players are. That—that's just not something that they're going to sure. fight against. You know. I, I would just. But again, but look at Patrick. When Patrick just played Fleece Main Lions instead of—I don't know what the hell he played. Like, Cruel ultimatums. Yeah. It's, instead of Olivia's or whatever, you know, is he sort of paid two for his three threes instead of four? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> his results became dramatically good. different, right? Yeah. You know. He was already an awesome player. Sure. So he was already capable of winning, you know, at a high level when he did this. But he just he just took a barrier away from himself. And I don't think that I don't think that's like how you practice or how you play the table. But I, are, but, are, but I think to say something rotable is to say that it is consuming energy while preparing. So to, just to, in my own defense, you know, thinking fast and slow hadn't been written yet when when. I, I, when I was developing some of these things, right? So we didn't know about willpower theory yet, right? That happened in, like, 2011 or something, 
Right, but the idea that you have like a limited reservoir of good decisions on the course of a day. Now the most successful people in the world all live by it, right? Like so Barack Obama and Mark Zuckerberg wear the same clothes every day because they don't want to waste willpower points on choosing what to wear. Is it did you not know this? No. So there's so uh, there's a there's a, a prevailing theory which is that you have a limited number of good decisions that you can make. And at some point you've exhausted all of your good decision capability and you make all bad decisions. Okay? So uh, so you can conserve the, the number of good decisions you make by automating certain decisions. So Mark Zuckerberg and Barack Obama, just as examples of high-profile people who do this, wear the same clothes every day. So they never waste a point on changing their clothes. To be fair, Barack Obama doesn't need to make any clothes decisions. No. Probably neither does Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, because he wears a black t-shirt and jeans. No, because he can, just, he can just have someone, he can just have his freaking oh, yeah, valet lay out his clothes. These guys don't have a freaking valet, Brian. Bullshit. I'm pretty sure Barack does at least. Barack has a body man that comes with the presidency. That's different. I, I think it's very unlikely that. I think I think you can also make good decisions and not wear the same thing every day by having your valet lay out your clothes if you're a billionaire. Okay. I'm just wondering well, what that looks like on your resume. What? After eight years, you're the pres- like, former body man for the president. Those guys all end up. Those guys all end up either like uh, lobbyists or like. Watch. That's like the best internship you can have. Form a human shield. <laughs> uh, human shields are different. They they often work for the next president. Yeah. So, uh, and then they get they get uh, they get retirement early. So, like fifty five or something. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, like that hadn't been developed yet. I, I would agree today that if I couldn't wrote a lot of these decisions, then I'm expending energy on the on tournament day on them. Right. Like you don't necessarily want to do that. So there, there, there's a there's a. There's a lot of interesting things. If you ever watch like, Travis Wu or something, he talks about like a lot of the stuff that he focuses on with other people is probably like zips by them. They don't think it's important. But like the techniques that have been developed to replenish willpower over the course of the day, right? So the micro things that you can do would be like, oh, well, I only have this much. I expended this percentage. I can get some back in between rounds. Yeah. You can't ever get it all back except by eight hours of sleep. But like you can, you can prolong your ability to perform over the course of the day. You probably didn't know that when you played in your first long term. Right, so you think about it yourself. Like you start off three zero and you beat Lucas Sia. You are you are close to out at this point, right? Think about the decisions you made in the second half of the day. When did you eat? <laughs> After round nine, <laughs> oh, so you, didn't read, you didn't eat it at all. You no. didn't a snack. No, you I have a glass did, of water. I had lots of water all day. I always hydrated. But. So, yeah. like I, I started studying this stuff a lot. Where I went through this strip. It's your first garbage truck. Yeah. Just need a jackhammer now. No, no, no jack. Almost no jackhammers at this hour. That's a shame. I, I, went, I went to. I went through this stretch in like I want to say like 2008, maybe or 2009, where I lost in my winning in in like six consecutive tournaments. Right. And so I was just like, what's wrong with me that I was able to win all these rounds? The guy who beats me in this round is no better than the guy who beat me last round. Right. I, I know it's not yips. Wasn't right? it because he hit a swamp under something? That was a, that was a bad <laughs> one. You know, <laughs> if not for that, I would have never had the friendships with Josh and Paul that I prob- yeah. probably, probably the case. I ended up traveling with Paul and Josh all summer that summer because I didn't win the first damn pizza queue. Somebody cheated. Swamp, swamp walker. I had a swamp, lethal swamp, swamp walker. Under an island. Oh. Yeah, so. Um, and I would have just housed the top. That's roadable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh... I mean, that was just like stone sheets. That's different. <laughs> um, but he was going to hit it. <laughs> what swamp? There's no swamp here. Um, but so you, you don't like my mind's desire streaking, right? You don't think it's real? Or? I mean, I think I, I, 
I think I think it's probably fairly insignificant, but I mean. So, but my point is, if you do that kind of stuff every single round of every single tournament that you play in, you gain an advantage over time. A substantial one, I think. Also, if you're playing decision-intensive decks, every single time you have decision opportunity, you have the ability to gain value. Right? So, when you're playing decision-intensive decks, it's onus is on you to, to do things that help you maintain your ability to make good decisions over time. It's like always calling heads. Say, I'm always going to call heads. You know I got games by, by uh, Paul and Josh when I did that, right? They knew that I would always say "give me head," so they they just tailed the, the coin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I find it interesting because, and this is something most high-level pros don't think about. Like the way I play at FNM, which is what I do, the majority of my magic is at FNM level. is very different from the way I would I played in the GP. Like, Why? Because at FNM, I'm not looking to prison rules the 13-year-old who's. But why would you look to prison rule somebody at the GP? That's not fun. I'm not at a GP. I'm really just not the same anymore. Yeah, you're not. (laughs) Like, if you're at a GP, if you've taken the commitment to play in a GP, like, especially, like, for for Chris, right, there's like, hold on. Go by. I feel like this is on my initiation or something. Um. Like Chris has taken this opportunity to play at some expense, yeah, right? So instead of getting to go to the GP, you know, and get compensated for his travel and get paid to be there, he has chosen the inverse of everything. <laughs> Judges get paid? We certainly don't do it for free. Skilled labor, man. Yeah. So, like, you know, you certainly don't want to just be like, you know, assuming everyone's there for that. You, you also don't know that little kid is not a shark. Sure. Whereas at FNM, they are almost. <laughs> there, there are some sharky 13 year olds. My son is a shark. He's just started playing FNM. He won his first FNM a little while back with Tron and Modern. Mind's Desire? No, yeah. Yeah, just because he, w- he would just flip him every time he hit a spell. It was great. But no, he's, uh, he's, he's a real shark. So. But no, I got a GP. There's money on the line. It's 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 big stakes, and I went in there hoping to day two. My real goal was five and four or better, uh, but day two was a stretch, and hopefully get on camera. But Marshall let me down, and I'm blaming him because it's easy. If you had gone, X uh, it's two, Adam Staborski. Yeah, yeah, you'd have. It's, it's Adam. St- I blame you, Adam. X and two makes day two. Yeah, and you went X and three. Yeah, that's pretty close, man. Well, it's exactly. not bad. I, I, I missed it by one misplay. I'd much rather look at it that way than oh, I got mad and flooded. That's why I lost. But your misplay is early in the tournament, right? So it, cha- it cha- changes your downriver events a lot if you fix that situation. For sure, but. You know, like, it's easier, it's very easy for Magic players to say, I got mana flooded in round five, that's why I lost, but... Well, there were eight other rounds. Exactly. <laughs> and, well, I, I won six of them, so even if I misplayed there, it's less important, although I, you, know, you still have to be aware of it. Like, why did I crack in Doom instead of foul turning there or something? But, you know, the deck was pretty much exactly what I needed to be playing. I'm playing SCG Baltimore this weekend, I might run it back. Oh, wow, so you're, you're running... Two, two back-to-back tournaments. Yeah. Well, writing for SCG has perks and that getting into events is a little easier. Sure. So I'm just going to show up and play and pre-roll it. Uh, I have the physical cards that Pedro Cavallo top aided with, so I might also run that list because I did play CDC work for a long time. But you don't, you don't practice playing? Because of what I write about with Bruce, I very rarely play the same deck two weeks in a row. But uh, actually, maybe I'm... You play in FNM almost every week. Yes, and uh, game night on Wednesday nights. I play Modern on Thursdays. Sometimes I drop. So you play a lot. I, I play a lot of Magic. But so why do you choose to play like 
Why do you choose to stack a bunch of meaningless events into each other instead of getting good at meaningless events? Because the thing that I very rarely play at the next level. Like this is my first GP. It's pretty ever. fun to play at the good level, right? It is fun, but it's not cost effective for me. If I'm going to travel, it's not to cost a GP, for anybody. It, well, it's not cost effective for platinum pros. It, well, well <laughs> that's debatable. But I mean, it's debatable. I mean, next they, GP jersey, you can go and it's going to cost you two hundred bucks for the weekend. Yeah. It's going to cost. Yeah, you me, live in Newfoundland. Right? Yeah, it's going to cost me eight hundred bucks to land at Newark. Okay. <laughs> right. So. I for me, if I'm going to go to a GP, I'm going to judge. I have to top four to make more from the tournament than I would from judging. So, what, what would? So, why would you want to play in the GP? Just for the experience? Yeah, for the experience. People say that you know, as judges at this level, we should play in these tournaments every now and then to see the experience on the other side. Uh, and it was fun. You know, I got to hang out with friends. I got to do things at a GP I couldn't normally do, like bird feature matches. Can't ever do that. Really? So, well, unless you're on coverage, you have to. You have tasks that you need to be doing, right? You can't just stand that there and watch like people a rough play. Gig. Yeah. So, so, talk to me for a second. Like, what? What is? When I see the, the coverage team, I would just always burn feature matches. <laughs> well, what's what's the attraction of becoming a judge? Like, what what drew you to judging in the first place? Uh, I actually wrote about this. Magic was. The I thing don't. Right? I don't read any magic articles. No, that's fine. Yeah, don't say that too loud. <laughs> Magic pulled me out us. of it. It's not true. I really? read a lot of magic I articles. I also don't read any magic articles. <laughs> what are they going to think of us now? Do you write articles? Like, uh, I've written a few, yeah. Uh, okay. I wrote uh, one this week. Did you? I should probably yeah. read that at some point. It was actually quite good. I thought. So, uh, it was about top decking. Oh. Off of my desire? <laughs> <laughs> Chris's turn now. Sorry, bro. So, Magic pulled me out of a deep funk uh, about five-ish years ago and uh, really helped me, was there for me in a way that a lot of stuff uh, wasn't. It was a social outlet. It was a a mental outlet. Um, And I wanted to give back. And the community didn't have a judge. As a result, we weren't getting any tournaments. So I flew to Toronto and certified. Um, And then from there, it was a natural progression to level up. And then GPs. And... It's addictive. Like, traveling to GPs as a player is addictive. As a judge, it's the same. You get to be friends with people from all over the world. Like, I showed up here. I have a couch to sleep on. I went to London for Christmas to stay with my family. I went and judged a PTQ while I was there. I had a couch to sleep on in Cardiff on the way down. Uh, if I go to France, I've got numerous offers of beds to stay in. Like, it's insane. We're all a really tight family and really close-knit. And it's great. Um, that sort of camaraderie has what is what's kept me there but also uh, you know you can't have tournaments without judges no so i agree it, it feels good being needed like that and showing up at a tournament and having players say oh thank you for your help or thank you for this and you know, that, that's something that some people don't get in their daily job especially when you work for the government so being able to get it from something else that you enjoy doing is a huge deal how, uh, what, what do you say to people who uh, ask you about becoming a judge? Like, what's, what's the best way to do that? And what, what are, like, the reasonable expectations to so, have from being a judge? Level one judges generally stay with an A store. Uh, they're expected to help out with things like FM, so the weekly drafts or whatever. And really, the only thing you need to do is have a good understanding of the, of the rules and of tournaments and the way. And Google. Function. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and Google, yeah. Like when, when, you get a, when you get a sticky one, you got to Google. Oh, it that's sometimes. when you just go on Facebook and message everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The amount of tournaments I've had judged in Montreal because somebody didn't know the answer. It's like, Chris, how do I do this? Um, but, oh, wait, so like, I guess there's always. Ju- like, do, you, like, do you have like the judge form? Like, like, I have a Facebook group and like my team ping, and then like, yeah. oh. 
yeah. like the bad signal goes Basically, up. And... Yeah. If, if I'm judging a tournament right now, if I had data, I could jump on Facebook and ask a level three in Connecticut, a level four in England, just anything. It's, it's not difficult to find the help. Um, That's insane, man. The thing that I, I would say to people looking to judge is if you want to become a judge, make sure that you judge. A lot of people take the test and then just keep playing, uh, which doesn't really help anything. You have a level one after your name, but really, what does it mean? Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to take it to another level and become like a level two and do GPs or, or even progress beyond a level one. Do it for your community. Do it because you enjoy helping people. You can still play in tournaments as a one. Like I judge and play FNM every week. I like seeing stuff like that around Magic. Though, yeah. I think it's. I, I think I, w- I would want to celebrate any way that people want to interact with this thing that I love. You know, mm. and then they they always have a, a different rich experience. It took me a long time to understand that there were players who just didn't care about finding the best play or knowing what the best deck is. Right. Mm. That's just not. That's not the thing that makes it fun for them. Like, they just want to try some goofy thing or play a casual format or dress up as characters, right? Yeah. Like, these are all different different things that people want to do, and they get a lot out of it, and sometimes they can share that with the rest of the community. And and then there's other people who are like, wow, well, I like to do this thing too, and I'm not alone. And I think that's that's yeah. kind of cool. And magic is so many different things to different people, which is an advantage it has over things like pro sports. If you're going to sit down and watch the NBA, you're going to watch it because you love basketball. You're not going to watch it because one day you want to cut your hair like the Birdman, right? I, I think if you're going to make a pro sports comparison, and I've done this before, Magic is golf. Okay. It's expensive and hard to get into. Yes, but you can. So you can. You can sort of. You can play it with your friends at the kitchen table, or yeah. you know, like at the at the driving range, or at the putting green, or even nine yards at the local country club. You know, nine holes at the local country club. But you can also take it very seriously. You can go through all these kind of rigorous qualifications. You can spend a lot of money reading about golf and studying well, golf. Like and John and Christian and those guys, they play basketball pretty seriously. Like, for old guys, right? Sure, for sure, guys sure, that are like sure. mid to late 30s. Yeah, but there, there's zero route for them. To there's zero route for them to become a professional basketball player. They could, in theory, go from zero to professional golfer yeah. If they if they try right, like the possibility exists for them to qualify yeah. for golf, golf or bowling. Like very, I guess you could also say bowling. Golf, yeah. golf has like a very uh, for historically, I would say golf has like not a very uh, sp- uh, strong connection between genetics and success. Tiger kind of broke that, but sure. know, he hasn't been Tiger, tiger in years. A lot of things. So. No, I mean, like he was the first one who, who was really like, this is what happens when an athlete acquires the skills, yeah. right? Like yeah. most of the time, it's just like some fat white dude. Arthritic Phil Mickelson. Yeah. Like, like, look at look at this video of me opening a doorknob. This <laughs> this this drug is fantastic. Right? Yeah. So it's like literally these like super unathletic dudes who just put a lot of time in, right? Yeah. But they're like, well, what happens if you see just like magic? Right. What happens if you? take this guy like train him from birth and he also has the genes for it you know yeah. like that's a that's a different experience and yeah he so was, like Clark Clark what, what, what do you think Clark has the, Clark has the genes for dropping the genes right like in a few years he's gonna be trouble like I, when I say that to like girls moms now and he's just like eight you're like what do you mean in a few years he's already trouble like Oh jeez, Clark is. Oh nice. Bella, well Bella's gonna he's be. Clark. Bella's gonna be the professional magic player. Actually. No, I don't think so. Bella just likes math, man. Perfect. That's the majority of players. Bella doesn't. So yeah, actually, did I ever, did you know Bella's assessment of Goblin Guide? Did, did, did you ever hear this? No, I've heard the one of Emrakul. 
Bella's assessment of Goblin Guide was she's like, Daddy, I want four Goblin Guides. I know she's like, it's not four Goblin Guides. But she doesn't really have the concept of like numbers and decks, right? She has like, concept like, I want Goblin Guide. And I'm like, all right, I, get I thought they were like five bucks. They're like, I have I have a set, right? So I was gonna buy like, these are like 40 bucks. I'm not getting them for you, right? It's like, it's like Goblin Guide is my favorite creature. I'm like, I thought that was kind of unusual, right? Because she, she plays duels like a lot, right? She used to anyway. Um, and I'm like, why is your favorite creature? She says, it allows you to make the perfect play. I'm like, excuse me? She's like, you attack and you see what they're going to draw. You make the perfect play. And I'm like, that's your actual assessment of the of the card? And, and she's like, yeah, what other assessment would you have? And I called P. Sully, and he was like, that is substantially better than my assessment of the card. <laughs> when, when, when I first saw it, I was shocked. She's like, you can see what their card is. Yeah. Like, but sometimes they get a land. She's like, so? <laughs> I have a tutu haste. Who cares if they have a land? Like, that was like, it's like, Daddy, I thought you knew about the evaluations of the cards in this game. Oh that was God. like her reaction. I was just like, oh my God, is this, is this possibly true? Yeah, so, she never, so, I mean, then I bought Goblin Guides as I was playing Red Deck and Legacy. I'm like, see, Bella, I have Goblin Guide. She's like, oh, are those for me? I'm like, no. You, and I was like, she's like, oh, but your deck is in plastics. She says plastics, right? She's like, can I play it? I'm like, no. But you can what, you, I, you can play your deck and I'll play this deck. <laughs> the, the, we didn't play for very long. No. Uh, Red Deck is not terribly fun. Yeah, Clark, Clark doesn't have the mind, but he like... It, it, like, it's something like if somebody hits him with a Nighthawk, right? So he goes down two in life, but then they get two, he just gives up. She's like, I'm never gonna win. Yeah. You're winning, and then I'm losing at the same time. I mean, it's not an unfair assessment. <laughs> right? So, like, like, that's like, he just, you know, he, his, his, his calibration is just not to this yeah. sitting there and playing magic thing. Like, he's super social. Like, even if he plays, like, video games or whatever, he's, like, always on Skype, like, always, like, doing Google Plus groups. Wait, he wears costumes constantly. He's, like, always, like, he goes, wears wig. Like, he'll, like, go wear, like, a blonde wig in public, like, just be like, I'm a blonde kid today. Like, he's just, like, super... Flamboyant? Like, flamboyant's not a word. He just, like, likes to dress well and make girls follow him around. Like, it's a... He just has, like, an entourage of girls, like, all the time. No idea. No. No like, idea. So, well, Catherine says that he, he just wanted to dress like I... He look his perception of how I dress, but he dresses way better than I do. <laughs> right? So, like, he's, he went through a long stretch. We wore a bow tie to school every day. Nice. So, he's just like... Bow ties are cool. He's just... He's a... They're both, like, real different. I'm not sure. I'm not, I, I understand the, the source material there. I'm not trying great. <laughs> I think they're fine for an eight-year-old. Yeah. I'm not so sure. They, they're a leading indicator of creepiness among grown men. <laughs> Or Doctor but, Who fan. So yeah. I'm not sure it's that much different. My, my point is, like, everyone thinks their kids are, like, especially unique or whatever. But I, I think my kids are kind of, like, a little bit different than... But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, my son's 14 and taller than me, so I, I have categorical factual proof. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> wait, wait, where's he going in the NBA draft? <laughs> right. Which is tomorrow. Holy crap. And I'm going to be in town. Madison Square Garden is just going to be a wreck, right? Do people go there and watch the... Oh, yeah. yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you probably Towns have to have had a ticket already. Towns is going to go first, right, and then Okafor. What's the... What's, yeah. what's, I don't know. It sounds like the Lakers are not going to take Okafor. Are they... Are they going to take a guard? I mean, if they're trying to trade for Cousins, they're not going to take Okafor as well, right? If but, they if they, but if they do, then they're trading the pick. And yeah. assuming, I assume that person will take Okafor. I'm I've so... seen. I've seen... I've seen a number of... Uh, mocks that have the Knicks landing Okafor in four. 
Really? Yeah, well... I'm, just, I'm sorry, Brian. I don't want you to get your hopes I'm up. I'm not getting my hopes up, but, like... You're going to get a guard. I mentioned this earlier. I can't, they might get Porzingis. I don't think Carmelo for Kobe and the pick is that out to lunch. Whoa, wait, so what do you propose? Carmelo to the Lakers. Kobe and the pick. So they, they switch picks and they switch superstars. Oh, you know switching picks. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm not sure. What is this supposed to accomplish for anybody? It gives well, the Knicks the second pick. But then the, the Knicks have to have stupid Kobe. Yeah. That's even worse than having so, Carmelo. Exactly. Yeah. Have you seen who the GM of the Knicks is? Steve Mills? No. Isn't Bill I mean, like, Jackson the GM? But he's the president of basketball operations. Oh, right. So, but why, 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 why would the Lakers do this? Because they get a player who theoretically has more in the tank than Kobe does. He played like five games last. He played barely more games than Kobe he, played. He was injured, and they were tanking. I mean, like, you're talking about a franchise that was perfectly fine paying Kobe Bryant twenty-four million dollars. To play there's no, there's, six there's, games. Zero, there's zero chance that they trade Kobe. There's just no way. Like, zero chance. They should have amnestied him three years ago, and yeah. they instead they gave him a twenty-four million dollar contract. Like it's just they're just not going to do that. And I don't even understand why the, the the Clippers are like outselling them in games. Like they're like nobody wants to watch like this busted up old team. Like they have this great franchise that they could fix, and they just choose to do these stupid things. Yeah. You, know? so you could say the same about the Celtics, right? Celtics have made great moves in the last couple of years. Well, it hasn't worked out for them yet. Like, they made the was, playoffs. Uh, in the East. You know, I, I'm so sick of people like talking about how, how like something is like less less significant of an accomplishment because it's in the East. You really don't think the Cavs could have beaten the Rockets and the Clippers? The Cavs I mean, like, are that's an outlier. Just, really? Were the Heat an outlier for all those years then? Because yes. like every time it's like, well, it's in the East, you're, you're, you're the, 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 the East is about three teams deep, and then... I'm just saying that the... The, Literally. The <laughs> yeah. Heat or the Cavs or whoever is, is, is winning, or the Celtics in 2008 and, you know, the Magic or the Celtics who are going to the finals would have been raffle stomping the low to mid-tier Western teams. Okay. That's but, just a fact. But look at like it the, on the Phoenix other Suns level. are not winning any of these series. But look at it on the other level. Are the Celtics better than the Timberwolves? Or not the Timberwolves, the, uh, yes. Thunder, the Thunder? Are the Celtics better than the Thunder this year? Yeah. Yes, the Thunder could not win a game this year. The Thunder won many more games than the Celtics did. The the th- when the Thunder were winning games, were during the, it was during the stretch that Durant was still playing. No. You, you forget the, the time when Westbrook was playing out of his mind and yes. pulled them within a game of the playoffs. Westbrook did a really good job in ensuring that his next contract is good. He did not do a good job in actually helping his team to win games. But the, the, what I'm saying is if they were in the East, they would have been like the fourth seed. I'm saying that if if, you, if you're proposing that at playoff time the Thunder played against the Celtics, I think that the Celtics would have had more than a puncher's chance of winning the series. The Thunder are not deep. Like Westbrook would have had Westbrook had to play like 40 minutes a game. Abaco's having an off season. Like they're just they're not Abaco's off season is still better than 11 of the 12 players on the Celtics. I, I think Abaco was probably the best power forward in the league the year that Kevin Love was injured, like 2011 or whatever. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. But like, they're just not. They can't no scoring. They traded their backup point guard. Like they're. I, right. I, I think the first of all, my personal opinion is the Thunder is among the worst run teams in the league, and that they like and they they got not only got lucky, they got lucky in stupid ways that made them seem good, but they're actually just exposed how terrible they are, right? Like, like if you if you look like oh, but what about the Westbrook pick? You know who they took Westbrook over? Kevin Love. 
What do you think that their chances would have been if they had that? As a, if their front line were Kevin Love, Serge Ibaka, and and uh, and KD, do you think any of the Western teams would have been able to compete with that team's front line? By the way, they would have had James Harden still. <laughs> I mean, like, like, but I'm sure that the Westbrook pick is a great reason to think that they have a great back office. They. They re-up Perk's contract in such a way that they couldn't keep a literal MVP candidate. Well, he wasn't an MVP candidate. Yes, he was. At the time that, first of all, the time that they let him go, he was substantially better than every single player on their team, and it was only arguable that he wasn't better than Kevin Durant. And the reason is that Kevin Durant's clearly more productive, but seven-foot-tall small forwards don't really exist, okay? That's like a unicorn, all right? So Duck is the only other one. All right, so he's like... I mean, he's like you, you. They don't really. Exist. He's seven feet tall. Okay, he's a seven foot tall small forward. He's a freaking winged unicorn. All right, he's like one of the only players in the league that you can actually legitimately compare to LeBron James. And shooting guards, on average, are the least productive. Are the least productive player on a team. Every single team in the league, it's almost statistically the case. The shooting guard's the worst player. They don't have the ball handling skills of a point guard, and they don't do anything else but score. Right, so. When you have a player on your team that's a shooting guard that's producing an insane amount of value, you're like, wow, that's like having an actual unicorn. You're like, wait, we have this crazy thing that nobody else has. Every other team just has a volume scorer at this position. They have, like, O.J. Mayo or Rudy Gay or Allen Iverson or Kobe Bryant. And we can pretend that those guys are superstars, but really they're just volume scorers. They actually had a superstar at shooting yeah. guard. I mean, Kobe and Iverson were both excellent defenders, too. And, like, Allen Iverson had approximately one above-average season. He was, like, such a bad scorer. He put up so many points, and people were like, but Allen Iverson took, like, ten horrible mid-range jumpers a game. Yeah. Do you know who's the good Allen Iverson? Steph Curry. <laughs> Steph Curry is the player people think Allen Iverson was, except he's also the greatest three-point shooter who ever lived. But Kobe, Kobe, Ooh, I mean, that's a Do you remember when, uh, do you remember when Philadelphia fans drove Andre Iguodala out of town? Oh, my God. Oops. You <laughs> go, What? What a freaking train wreck was that finals. You had, like, these cast-offs from the Knicks. <laughs> like, I mean, to be fair, sub- there's a lot of teams with cast-offs from the Knicks. But then you had, like, cast-offs from Philadelphia, more cast-offs from the Knicks. <laughs> like, broken Sean Livingston. You had the, the first and last pick of yeah, the I first round of 2005. Do you know the two seasons? Bogut and David Lee. Oh, jeez. Are know, the first and the 30th picks in the 2005 you know that, draft. Two years ago, maybe three years ago, three years ago now, two or three, three years ago, both Maurice Spates and Sean Livingston were Cavaliers. I like, re- I remember Livingston came into the league as a clipper and a point guard, right? He busted it. He had one of the most horrific injuries ever. Yeah. And it took him, like, this many years to come back, and he's playing good basketball. I, he, I remember him coming into the league, and people were calling him the next penny because he was a six foot seven point guard with so, ridiculous and, and skills. Then, and then he hurt himself. He hurt himself. So, yeah. so he was the next penny. He really penny. was the next penny. <laughs> so, and that's my whole point we were talking about earlier. Like, I'd love to say that, you know, Kevin Durant is, you know, some preternatural player, but it's possible he never really comes back from this injury. He, he could be entering the Grand Hill, Tracy McGrady. Yeah, it's like... Portion of his career. Jay Williams? Uh, I mean... The, Is that the motorcycle accident? Yeah. He was a guy with all the tattoos, right? I mean, narrow it down a bit. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so, but, like, yeah, people don't really realize how bad the injuries in the NBA are, right? Yeah, like, yeah. these guys, like, LeBron was probably playing with, like, 20 different nagging injuries in the finals, but he's still LeBron, so he could put up pretty good games. 
he's probably completely broken down into bed right now, like recovering. Like uh, LeBron from... in the finals was unconscious, even for LeBron. What's your, what's your top four prediction for the for the NBA draft? I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to the college. Uh, you know, by the time this goes up, I know. Let's wait. You get a chance to gone. be correct. All right. So I think it's I think it's Towns, then it's Okafor. That's what I think, and I don't know anything. And then it's anybody's game. Right? Then D'Angelo Russell, and then and then I think it'll be I think the Knicks will go Christus Porzingis. What position does he play? Seven foot. He plays. Oh, okay. He plays. You know. He's the new up. He's new Banyani, is he? No. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's so so he's somewhere. He exists somewhere between Banyani and Dirk, I mean, but we don't know where. So, a, so do a lot of people. <laughs> so what you're saying is, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, what you're saying is, is he's somewhere between a. An MVP slash Finals MVP and, and the worst player in the league. <laughs> Andrew Benyarni has consistently been the worst player in the NBA for the last three years. Glenn, the worst. Glenn Davis is still in the league. Yeah. Are you kidding? Think about it like this. Let's say you have a bad sideboard card, right? You have like an really the war leader that you can't cast, but it just says your sideboard and you never sided it. Okay. Or. You have a Sorrows Path, and it's in your main deck, and you draw it a lot. <laughs> Are you telling me that Aurelia the War Leader that you never sided in did more damage to your life than the Sorrows Path that was in your deck? Am I allowed to blow him up with the Enterprise? Yes. <laughs> Am I allowed to? I mean, to be fair, the Sorrows Path is never going to do anything. Uh, they Banyan play him a minute after minute after minute. Wins games. I don't believe that to be true. He has. He, he played. He played. He actually played some good games down the stretch this year. He has. He actually played some really good games. But you know. But then only. I mean, I do have my dream. Here's my dream: if the Knicks are never going to be good, which is very distinct possibility, <laughs> then I want the Knicks to max out On the right? big. Th- yeah, just max out Bargnani, <laughs> max out Amari again, just bring it back, <laughs> bring it back, Rebound and then or- like, and then just take a flyer on Greg Oden. Right, just like the That's, big three. Did I tell you? I was having this was like during a Nets versus Miami last year, and uh, there's just like this guy that's at the next table, and Shark is like, "That guy looks just like Greg Oden." And I look over and I'm like, "That's because it's Greg Oden. He's wearing a Miami Heat t-shirt." <laughs> I was like, oh. And then like so, Greg Oden's made and he leaves. Right? We're like, man, isn't that weird? Greg, Greg Oden's in the, the same restaurant as us. I'm like, wait, this restaurant is attached to the Conrad Hotel. And Miami is playing against against <laughs> against the net uh, the Nets tonight. Like, well, that would explain it. <laughs> I saw and I saw LeBron and, and so if if it was, was, get, get was this with a, Shark? You were with me Shark? Shark yeah. So if Shark sat on your shoulders, yeah, would who'd be taller? Grant Godin for sure. <laughs> Two Asian kids. <laughs> I mean, Shark on my shoulders is probably. Well, that's just like torso. Uh, about, torso. As tall, about as tall as Chris's son. Yeah. <laughs> Let me think for a second. So, like, he's not as tall as. Who's, is Shark is, he's a little shorter than I am. He's right? around your same size. About as tall as the same size. So, like, yeah, add like four, three, three, three. height, Three, two, three. We're shorter than Greg Oden for sure. Okay. I mean, we're taller than a regular person. <laughs> I mean, until we fall down, right? Like, it's just like, ooh, now we're not the taller question, than question, a kid. The question is, can you guys. Managed to get the wallet out from your trench coat to buy a ticket to an R-rated movie. <laughs> Dude, you are dating yourself. It's the only reason anyone stands on someone else's shoulders. What about what about that Kevin Durant slushy commercial? <laughs> oh man. 
that's ridiculous. So, Chris, you're, you're playing in SCG Baltimore. Yeah. Why don't you just run back the Marty Dragons? I think that's better than the Absinthe. Uh, well, Sadisi Whip is, yeah. Oh, Sadisi Whip is awesome against Marty Dragons, though. That's not the reason to play it. What is the reason to play it? Well, I'm saying, you know, I mean, because it beats the deck you're going to play, you play it. Marty Dragons is a pretty substantial portion yeah. of the metagame. Yeah. Sadisi Whip is good against a lot of the decks. And the thing about Sadisi Whip is watching both Pedro and Willie play it is it seems like it just has some pretty big misfires. Like, it doesn't... It do- it seems to like really need to draw cards in a certain sequence. It's very good against Abzan. I, I understand very that it's good against Mardu. I understand. I'm just saying is it also seems like it just collapses on itself sometimes, no matter what it's playing. It seems like there's some number, and that could be one in ten. It could be one in twenty. But like, I watch the deck just stumble. Well, its card quality is not the best, right? So, and if you don't have, a, and if you don't have a Seder Wayfinder, how many Sadisis do you play? Does Four of the four drop on one of the five. So five. Yeah. So I, I think like four plus two is a pretty reasonable number. The f- the, I think some versions are on the second. If you, if you could get the six Seder Wayfinders, yeah, that be would better. be the best. And then, do they play Rakshash and Death Dealer? Yeah. So they just have like Seder Wayfinder. They have Sylvan Carry added. Yeah. Carried it, Corsa. This one ran Den Protector and uh, Death Mist. I like. I can get behind it. But I like that you, a lot. But your, yeah, your average card quality is so much worse than Abzan. That's the. It's well, good in the heads-up edge, Only but like, because at a four, you're getting a three-three and a two-two at best, and they're getting Bloodbraid Elf. But like yeah. the, the bigger problem is you get into the mid-game, and your trump card is is Whip of Erebos, which seems infinite until it runs out, right? Yeah, yeah. And they have Elspeth, which is really infinite. Elspeth is very hard. It's locking down. You can't get through unless you have unless you have Hornet Queen, and then they just play Ugin, and you can't win. Well, that's why that's in the uh, board you have both Downfall and Cylinder. But like. You got to you got to get through the first game first, right? Are you going to pack when they play uh, Elspeth because they're going to win? It's just going to take them several turns. I mean, you do have Hornet Queen main. You have Ataka main. Yeah, they have, a, they have Hornet Queen. I mean, that's respectable. They have, they also run two Atakas main now. Well, this version does. Because whipping that back is quite very ridiculous. good. <laughs> take eight, gain thirteen. Well, but the, the life points the life points aren't that substantial. You're talking about the, the opposing deck is eventually going to do like 90 damage to yeah. it, right? So, it, it, God forbid they have uh, they have Garrick 7, right? So, I you're just really going to create a huge standoff situation. I haven't seen anyone playing that no, hard at it's, all. It's, it, and you know what card I'm it, it got real. Well, it got really like obliterated by, by Ugin. By Ugin. Yeah. So, it's, so, Garrick 7 is interesting. Garrick 7 is better than Ugin if you went second. Or, yeah. Uh, or if you or if you stalled. It's really interesting. Like, it's a great catch-up card. It's horrible in a, in, a, in a fair number of matchups, but it's the absolute best card against Green-White Devotion. Well, the thing is about... Because your 3-3s your trump their 2-2s. Two the thing is about Garrick is that it's the best answer to a tap-out Ugin. They tap out, they Ugin, they wipe the board. And it's, yeah, nice Ugin. Now you lose. Because they have one turn to get that off the board before you start making unbeatable threats. Uh, well, another card I'm surprised that DC Whip doesn't play against Abzan. Like, Villainous Wealth against Abzan? You resolve that for six? I agree. How are you losing good. that game? You don't lose. Villainous Wealth is the best card in standard against mid-range decks. Like, you, even if you can, if oh, you yeah. can resolve it against Asper. Like, think about all the times you cast Ugin. Like, imagine it's if you cast the best oh, against right? mid-range decks. Right? Sold. You should play DC Whip and just play, like, four Villainous Wealth on your sideboard. Four might be too many. So here's the problem: you can't play a small number because you have a, you run a high incidence of just flipping them over. He's got den protectors. Oh, okay, that's fair. Then play oh, one. But you do lose some of the surprise. I think two is the right number in the ball. 
you don't want to draw them. You, you, yeah, you don't mind. You'd rather mill them. <laughs> I, it has potential. Like you, you do it for six, and you hit like a seed rhino and a corsa, and you're just like. Uh, yeah, I'll play that. No, you get just, just getting all the lands. Right? I, just, I, just, I just want to play it in Green Red Devotion. And then it goes to the, <laughs> it just goes to the graveyard, right? Not hard. Exiled. Oh, it's exiled. Yeah, all the stuff that you don't cast gets exiled. No, no, the Wilderness Wealth itself yes. goes to the graveyard. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, then you just get it back with another Den Protector. Yeah, I think you just made my deck for the Pro Tour, <laughs> so I can actually play with this card in my Jace and Nissa deck. Uh, it's you, in colors. And your Ashion, by the way, is in the same colors. I, I don't Ashion. You should Ashiok. Why? What is should? Uh, well, Ashiok just makes some decks fold up. They can't beat it. You can sideboard it. It's okay. I don't, I don't, I don't. He can't. He doesn't want it because he can't collect a company in it to play. Well, I don't want to play those cards. <laughs> I want to play. I want to with Nissa. Yeah. And I, dragons. I, I want to collect a company a into, into Liliana and Merciless Executioner. That just that's just something I really. You want think to that's do. better than just? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty sweet. Yeah. You think that's better than just Liliana and Nissa? I mean, well, no, but... <laughs> but, but, if you, but imagine, yeah, if you, if you Liliana and Merciless Executioner... I get how it works. Right You're going to end up with a 2-2 and a flip to Liliana. So does it... They're not going to... Dude, the... Nissa is a gigantic lightning rod. Nobody will let it live. I think Nissa is quietly the best of the five. It's not quiet. Well, everybody's <laughs> raging about Gideon. I, mean, I don't think these cards are comparable. I, I, don't, I don't think almost any... You know what's comparable to Nissa? Siege Rhino. It's like a mile better than almost every other card in standard. The basic forest thing annoys me, but it's, why? It's just because it, it, yeah. Because you haven't modern. seen the card played very much. No, well, it's hard to evaluate any card in a vacuum. But I really like this. One. Her plus one is just okay. I'll draw. It's coiling oracle. It, you get the coiling oracle every turn. Why, do yeah. you, why does he say the weakest thing that he could say? Because it's the one that I mean, you're going to be able to activate. Coiling Oracle is like my favorite thing to do ever, so. Really? Yes. What about making dark chocolate rituals? In magic. What about gushing and then uh, and then tapping all your opponent's rebels? That doesn't even make any sense. Because it's in snare, but it's close. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant. I know. <laughs> I also gushed in that deck. That's what I... Well, I wasn't even wrong! How did you get more islands in play? You can only get more forests in play, right? Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe I didn't gush. You I brainstormed. Gushed. You gushed. Again, I brainstormed. You gushed, I gushed. for sure. I think yeah. you gushed against me. Yeah. I credit vouchered. Uh, what about... What was the thing I played? That that 61st card, and it was like you could put a card from the bottom... From the graver to the bottom of your deck. Soldavi Digger? No, pop- Poppers something maybe. Po- uh, oh, the the trading post card. Some like- horrible card, and like me and Zoo were talking about, like maybe the best strategy in the format is to play a sixty-two card deck with two copies of this. <laughs> like it's really bad because you could. There's no way to win. Oh, Conjurer's like, Bubble. No, 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 no. This is from five. This is from Masks Block. Oh, it is horrible. Wow. You like taps two, and it takes a card from your graveyard and puts it at the bottom of your library or something. But you, but if you're in a standoff situation between two mono white control decks, it will be it will win the game. Ugh. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah. All right. Okay. So that's I think that's I think once we've talked about Mercadian mask cards that we can't identify. <laughs> don't remember the name. Don't remember the name of and can't look up because it's not even if we wanted to. It's because Chris doesn't even have data. No, I don't. He's Canadian in New York. Via England. Yeah. 
the hell? <laughs> Do you just listen to the Sting song the yeah, entire time? Yeah, just, it's just rolling in my head to repeat, actually. We didn't even talk about the Lantern of Insight tech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, did that? I was just looking for Lanterns of Insight in my boxes at the office today. I have four. That's a cool deck. Yeah. Is it good, though? Yes. Um, the, I've been playing it counterbalance in it, which might be a little deep, but when you can control we the top about, of your deck... We were talking about that at the, at the GP this weekend. Yeah. The deck, it's boring as hell to play against. Like, you should really apologize to your opponent. People, people seem to really love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I, that's the kind of deck I wish I invented, but now that it exists, I don't think... I like... actually wrote about it before the GP, and I had someone come up to me in Charlotte and say, oh, I read your article, and I tweaked the deck a little, and I'm doing really well with it. And turns out he's top 16. So. Oh, was that guy? Yeah. Oh, so he, he took the deck from your idea? Not just my idea, because Jerry T wrote about it as well, and so he saw it in two places, and he was like, hey, maybe there's something to this. So. Oh, wait, where did you see the deck that you wrote about it? Oh, a friend of mine got it from some random site that he checks and was playing it locally. He had a five-color version that I thought just went way too deep. So I, I cut it down to, to uh, Salto colors and just played it. It's it's trolly, but it's good. What, what is trolly? Because uh, you just don't let your opponent draw anything of value ever. Yeah, that's good. That's just perfect magic. <laughs> <laughs> you have perfect information even without a goblin. How, how good is the stupid uh, extraction card? I didn't run it. Oh, I have a sideboard because if you see an Emrakul, you have uh, Pixis of Pandemonium in the Exile. You don't really need Surgical. But he was running the Surgicals at the yeah. GP, right? Yeah, yeah. But, like, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? You can just beat them with 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 uh, uh, Pirate Spell Bomb, right? I didn't play. I had a single Tezzeret uh, Agent of Bolas. That's very expensive for this deck. Uh, yeah, you can do it with Mox Opals and Glimmer Voids and such. I also had two Gaia's Blessing because uh, deep down, we all want to be Andrew Cunio. <laughs> I think Brian fell in love with that card while Andrew Cunio wasn't playing for a while. I mean, I was playing when that card first came out. I, and, I was at the tournament where that card first appeared, and Brian was already in love. <laughs> it does everything you ever want to do. Like, I'm not getting milled, and I get to draw a card. I like the Sky's Blessing idea. Yeah. But there's a problem is the deck doesn't do anything, so what am I blessing back, really? Oh, you're never costing it. <laughs> oh, that seems wasteful. If I you... might as well play Emrakul then. Nah, uh, you can cost it, is the thing. But I'm not, there's nothing to get back in this deck. It's uh, all garbage. Sometimes you the other guy's Blessing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Lantern of Insight, or if they destroy your Ensnaring Bridge. Okay, I, I can get behind getting back in Ensnaring Bridge. I like that. How are, they, how are you letting them destroy your ensnaring bridge? How did you let them draw that card? Sometimes, Whatever it is. Sometimes they have runner-runner spell. Yeah. You can't, always, you can't always stop them. And if it's an abrupt decay, you really can't always stop yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair. you just do it on their upkeep, right? Uh, you normally will, yeah. In their upkeep, you control what they're going to draw. But if they're ever going to do anything, then you can respond to a draw ability by, by using one of your mill abilities. Not in the middle of it, though. So if it's the sec- if they draw two and it's the second card down, there's nothing you can do. Unless you have a second mill ability. No, because if they draw two, you get to see it, but you can't stop it because the, the, the draw ability... If they're playing a draw no, two. when they put the draw ability on the stack, you respond. Yes. So they both have to be... Right, but if the top card is a land, you let them have it. And the second card is abrupt decay. You can't stop that. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. That is, that is, that a, is state- a true statement. A statement where we are in, in sync. Yeah. yeah, that card. That's actually. I didn't realize that you were uh, one of the papas of that deck. Yeah, I did not either. I would have. I would have brought it up sooner. I didn't build it, 
Um, I did talk about it, and I love it. So, yeah. If it was I, I, modern this would, week. Would you play that in a, in a real modern tournament? Uh-huh. If, if for no other reason than to drive Cedric mad in the booth. Ambitious, he thinks he's going to be on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do they know who I am? <laughs> what do you do in the mirror? Like, that? the mirror exists I now. I hope to never find People out. People kept asking me that about the Mono Blue Dragon. Secretary was in the room, I'm like, why would I know this answer? No one has ever played this deck in a yeah. tournament before. What mirror? I've never been able to find two people in the same room who like the deck. Like, it's just... oh, I can only imagine that the lantern mirror is miserable. And you almost want to next level and side out your lantern so that your opponent does it for you. I bet you that the lantern mirror is a super high skill mirror. You know why? Because you think that it's miserable. Oh, most of, most of the mirrors that people think are miserable are actually like the high skill ones. Death and Taxes mirror, for example. That's my legacy deck, and that is incredibly high skill, but it is a miserable one Isn't to play. It's two white weenie decks. Yeah, but it's call, white weenie call. prison decks. <laughs> but they're not just beat down, right? Yeah, there's no. The creatures in that deck don't actually. Well, Mirror Crusade is about the only one. But I'm saying, but well, their, I mean, are, their, their are, function is generally not like, attacking, right? Are it's you like playing with like doing two things. Mangar of Horn or anything. I have, I have one. Not every deck does. Yeah, like, I think the majority of people have like Sarah Avengers or something. Oh, a lot of people have cut that now. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that deck is garbage, personally. It's, it's hard for me to take it seriously. The thing is about it, it doesn't have any horrible matchups. Really? Burn is its worst matchup. I, I, I played against it three times at the Grand Prix. I beat like second. I beat like second turn Core Firewalker, third turn Core Firewalker. He was really pleased with himself. He's like Core Firewalker. So I'm like, you had software and context, didn't you? Uh, I had like first. I mean, I I, I was just like just. You know, emptied my hand and cast Incinerating Bridge and cast Sulfuric Vortex and had like a Grim Lava Man turn yeah. play. And I was just like, yeah. If they don't have Council's Judgment, they're not getting out of that. That's fine. It, Burn is the only matchup that's significantly less than 50 50. Some, some of the combo decks are very draw dependent. Like if you hit a Thalia or an Ethosaur and Canonist before they can go off, then they're not winning. But like Reanimator decks, you, you can't interact with them very well. You have Caracas. But what if they don't get an? What if they don't get a legendary? Creature? What le- non legendaries are they playing? There's only Tide Spot Tyrant. Tide, Tide Spot Tyrant is one I was thinking. Of. I mean, Tide Spot Tyrant is literally the least swordsable card there is. Every single effect can protect it. What's the exact wording whenever you cast a spell? Whenever you cast a spell, bounce a permanent. Yeah. So they, but if they're putting it into play turn two. What are they going to cast? You're fine, bounce it. Fine. I mean, you're talking about one deck having Force of Will and Brainstorm and the other deck not. Yeah. Okay, like, you're, their, their incidence of having a defense for their turn two Tide Spot, Tide Spot Tyrant is much higher than your incidence of having a sword. I mean, we do also have uh, both Containment Priest and Rest in Peace. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with your statements. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, their deck is very fast. Yes. And your deck is not. And so you have to have your... Right. So, like, let's say for sake of argument, your spoiler card was Thalia instead. You're like... I have my cards that are good against combo. Thalia. And they're like, interesting. In response, Tide's by Tyrant, yeah. right? Oh, like, that's bad, right? For sure. But that's what I'm saying is that the deck has answers to almost every matchup, but it has to draw them. But it's a mono-white deck with no selection. 
playing Less, yeah. it in incredibly fast format where every single point of mana matters. But it does have consistently good results because of the fact that if it does draw its answers, it's going to win. I think that it has mediocre results. It also has Stoneforge Mystic Battleskull Gita, which is yeah, it's like a powerful. It's like a super bad blue-white deck. <laughs> it's like like you're just like naming cards that are in the blue-white deck, but that deck also has Jace the Mind Sculptor, Brainstorm, and Force of Will. You know, I think Legacy more so than any other format rewards knowledge of the format. Really? Yeah. I think that... I, I, I Honestly, I, that's not the first time I've heard that. I personally don't agree. I think that Legacy is like a format like many others. The thing is it has many, many available decks. Patrick Sullivan actually taught me this. I used to have a very, very, very specific set of opinions about Legacy. He's like, Legacy is too vast a format to have these kinds of opinions. And the reason is... It's a patchwork of very, very many decks. If you, if you think you have an idea of knowledge of the format, you don't have an exhaustive knowledge of the format no. idea, right? So let's say, for, just for sake of argument, I was playing lands and you were playing Death and Taxes. What chance do you think you have to win? Very slim. Your guess is just that you're not going to play lands. That's it. That's the best you can do. Yeah, there's right? a lot of that in, in So Legacy. In, in Legacy, right? So he's just like, look, I don't think... Just, just, he's like, well, what's your opinion of Maverick, right? And I'm like, I think Maverick is garbage, okay? It's horrible. I would never play it. He's just like, tell you what, I go to a lot of these events, see a lot of people on camera, I agree with you, I don't think Maverick is very good. But, some people play Maverick, and they obviously have a reason to play Maverick, and they've invested in these cards, and when I play Mono Red... This could be the reason. Right? No, but when I play Mono Red against the Maverick guy, despite the fact that I don't think Maverick is a very good deck, I'm going to have a very hard time beating that player. Right, and the fact that I don't respect that deck personally has no bearing on what on its interaction with my deck. And if you listen to two Maverick players talk about like the nuances of the Maverick mirror, it's incredibly nuanced. Yeah. It's just like which fatty do you play? What ha- if you play two Fauna Shamans and a Lotus Cobra? What the, the idea that you can play two Fauna Shamans and a Lotus Cobra and the amount of advantage you get in the Maverick mirror? is stunning. You're like, you set up your Lotus Cobra with your Fauna Shaman, then you get like Knight of the Reliquary and Sacraments, you could just play Elish Norn, hard cast, that you got off of your Fauna Shaman that wasn't, and then your opponent is just cooked yep. for the most part. Or like, you play like all these corner cards that are just for the Maverick Mirror. Guess what? If you're playing Death and Taxes and I'm, and I'm a Maverick deck and I prepare for the Maverick Mirror, you are cooked. Yeah. It's like, we're playing the Mirror Match and I have green. Right? Right? So, like, you have, like, all these just... Every garbage card that you have that's interesting, I have the exact same card. I have Stoneforge Mystic if I want. If I don't play a student for Stoneforge Mystic, it's I chose not to. It wasn't good enough for me. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can, has its strengths. I, I love Death and Taxes. It's also the one of the only decks in Legacy that you can fully foil out. Which, I, which is why I yeah. it. But I'm just, <laughs> so, like, you, you describe Death and Taxes as a white prison, white weenie deck, right? Kind of, yeah. So, like, let's say you're, if you're playing in the mirror, sometimes you can get a huge leg up on your opponent because of the prison elements, right? Yeah. Rather than the beatdown elements. If you're playing against Maverick, they might just have a life from their loam in their sideboard. Like, somewhere in their deck, they yeah. have a life for the loam. Like, you have to kill them. The problem is they have the green creatures and you have the white creatures. Like, your biggest guy's a 2-1. Okay? Like... They just have a Knight of the Reliquary. Let's say you have a, a Mirror Crusader. Well, that's kind of a big game. Is it a bigger game? The other guy just leveling up their, their Knight of the Reliquary? It's never getting through. I have Pro Green. <laughs> you, are, you are playing in the wrong paradigm, my friend. You have no offense. You are the Cavaliers. <laughs> it was real tough for the Warriors to score on the Cavaliers, too, but their offense was anemic enough that eventually the Warriors could score enough points despite the Cavaliers having a sweltering defense, right? So well, you're not getting through. I have Pro Green. 
I agree. What happens when I get a second Knight of the Reliquary? Yeah. Right? My deck is looking at three cards a turn. You're losing only one card a turn. I hear you. I... Like, that. It's just, there's, the format is so big. You yes. can't just make these pronouncements. It's like, you, you, you look at this like, if it were up to me, like, I don't know why people don't just always play, this is something I used to say, you should always play graveyard-based combo decks. The incidence of graveyard hate in the top eights of Star City opens for Legacy is not high enough. Unless you're seeing approximately 32 graveyard hate cards, Dredge just probably has a positive expectation in every single match. The thing is, there's two things to that. The, the top eight isn't the whole story, and the graveyard combo decks are probably getting beaten in the early rounds by the people who do have the graveyard a, Well, I think that the top eights are indicative of what gets played next week. That's yeah. that's what I do think is true. The other thing is... But the format's fast. You can play eight different decks in eight rounds. With Legacy, in standard, if you know your deck really well and your opponent doesn't, and it's a bad matchup for them, or a bad matchup for you, they probably can still beat you because of the differences in the matchup. In Legacy, the, 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 the level of skill difference between someone who really knows their deck and the format and someone who just picked a deck up is bigger. Really? I feel like it is. The number of decisions you make in Legacy is minuscule. Because I've because played... The games are so short. Locally, and the reason I've seen this play out locally is that we've just started a Legacy scene. Nobody else watched Legacy coverage. Nobody had played with the Legacy cards before. We've got a very young community. Yeah. I dominate Legacy because I know the format. I'm not that much better than the rest of the players. So, for the past, I would say, like, 18 months or something, my expectation is, like, is very good, right? Win, like, close to 75% of all my matches playing playing Legacy, which is substantially better than my standard, like, local-level local standard term is just, like, sure. PPTQs, RPTQs, whatever, like, playing the GP. And... Pretty good standard results. My legacy results are 25% better than my standard results. I always just play mono red. So, like, people are like, well, legacy, all this knowledge and everything. I'm like, you know what? You have a lot of knowledge. And when you tap out for your sneak attack, you just can't be surprised when somebody price of progress is you. Yeah. And you're dead, yeah. right? Like, it's just not part of your paradigm. You're like, I have, like, all of these things that I'm thinking, like, well, I know about this thing, and I'm going to brainstorm correctly. Like, all this stuff, right? And like, you can't like, see this, but Chris is pumping the fist at a siren. Yeah. You might just get popped, right? Yeah. That's that's the thing. And, like, Brian was, like, super trying to convince me to play the blue-red Treasure Cruise deck when it came out. I probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> but the mono-red deck is a great matchup against that deck, and I, I beat it in the, in the sure. Grand Prix. You know, so I was like, well, I think that a lot of people are going to play that. I, I happen to play against the energy field deck, which my deck can't beat. Nope. Um, but if I played the blue-red deck, I could have easily beaten the energy field deck. That deck was so good. That, yeah. that it was really good. That short, sweet period of time. That right. beautiful. That was just like Marilyn Monroe, man. Yeah. It's a star burned bright. It's like, it's like the girl with the jewels encrusted on her forehead. <laughs> and she disappeared into the night. She was, she, a, she was put on the banned and restricted list. I mean, she was probably there all along. To be fair. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> she, she was never allowed for open play. <laughs> that would not have been fair. Yeah. All right, thanks for joining us, Chris. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Like, yeah, our pleasure. I now have a teacup list after this week. I've checked so many things off the bucket list. We were on it. Have I? Well, have he I was. <laughs> I checked you off years ago, dude. <laughs> oh, I thought you wanted to be on our podcast. Well, yeah. That's yeah. different. Yeah. All right. All right. So, Towns, Okafor, X, and Y. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could have said that. No, guys. it's Towns, Okafor, Russell, and then I'm going to say Porzingis. Is it just because you want to say, Prisingus? Yes. All right. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.